When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Oliver Harkin, Ironman coach, welcome to the Fuel Better podcast. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Hi, Evan. Um, my name is Oliver Harkin. My coaching company is called Prime Coaching. And we look after anyone who's into the world of, of triathlon, from beginners all the way up to um, Ironman World Championship qualifiers. Uh, anyone who's got big challenges uh, that, they, that they're taking on in the world of triathlon, then I'm helping them to get there. Very good. Very good. And at the moment, if, if you were to kind of break it down, does your client cohort tend more so towards Ironman itself, half Ironman sprint, or is, is there a good mix? It's a good mix. Um, people come on board predominantly when they're going towards the longer distances. Um, I strongly recommend the first step any triathlete or budding triathlete take is to join their local tri club. And they get a lot of good information from there. And they can pretty much get good enough for sprints and Olympic distances uh, to, you know, to, to finish those races and to finish them pretty well off the back of training with others and pushing themselves. But once they get up to the stage of the half Ironman or, begin a, or an Ironman and, and becoming very competitive maybe in the shorter distances, that's when uh, the coaching uh, is is required, in, in my opinion. I think, um, no, I don't intend on it, but I'd like to think I could not kind of blag my way through a sprint triathlon or maybe a two-hour event, but there's absolutely no chance you're going to finish a half Ironman or an Ironman if you're running off of guesswork. It's That's, that's what happens. Um, people, as, as you know, you know, right now we could, probably go steady for an hour and a half just in the fuel we have in, in, our, in ourselves right now but once you go past that hour and a half mark that's where your pacing and especially your nutrition uh, plays such a big part you, you, you just can't uh, fly by the seat of your pants for a, a 10 hour 12 hour 14 hour event it, it, it doesn't end well um, too many trips to the portal portal and things like that which we don't want people to have to do in, in those conditions you know what it's really interesting and i wonder if it's the same for you most of the people who i end up working with get in touch with me after they've had a terrible ironman experience or race experience and it's there's normally one of three messages hi evan what blah 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 portaloo six times or i was sick as a dog in the race or i bonked or i got dehydrated and ended up getting heat stroke all of those things are avoidable with nutrition protocols it's only when they've had that bad experience that they think, I need to address this now. Is it similar for you or with triathlon, do people tend to go for a coach when they're doing their first half or full Ironman? It's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit like people's personalities. Um, whenever you get to meet someone, some people just want to jump in, 
you know, so I, I, I'm from a swimming coach background. And so you might describe a, a certain drill or before you even halfway through describing it, one of the swimmers has, has started trying to demonstrate it. Is this what you mean? Is this what you mean? So the same way for triathlon, some people jump in and go, is this what you're supposed to do? And then realize, oh, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. And other personalities are very standoffish isn't the right word, but they're standoffish. They want to be, uh, they want to do it right. And they don't want to have that experience of puking on the side of the road or having severe cramps because their 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 salts are imbalanced. So there is a, it's a personality uh, thing when it comes to the, uh, whether they stand back or which way they approach it. It's really interesting. I'm, I'm always curious about people who decide to take on the challenge of an Ironman. Just anecdotally speaking, they normally have a lot of other balls to juggle. You know, they have jobs, they have families, they might have busy professional lives. How do you help someone manage a hectic life with what has to be a hectic training schedule? Is that a balancing act? It totally is a balancing act. Um, starting off, I, I've been coaching for uh, full time for over 13 years now. And initially it was all about it was all about the training session and I'll get them to do the training session. But over the last number of years, it's, it's about the other 23 hours that goes on in their day. If the uh, if the sleep's not right, if the nutrition's not right, if there's too much stress, if they're doing a lot of travel with work, if there's a lot going on in the other 23 hours, then it doesn't matter how wonderful uh, a session I plan or any plan has, it's going to be hamstrung and hampered. Uh, their progress is going to be held back. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to blame their training, and then they might decide to double down and train more. Whereas it's, it's the other 23 hours or 22 hours in their lives that, that needs, that they need help with. I think that's a really interesting point. And personally, from my sporting days, I, I wasn't attracted now, I was a race walker. But if I look back at younger me, six hours sleep, skipping meals, not getting rub outs, not really watching my work life balance, college, and I worked in a bar, it kept me up all night. And I'd have a bad race and I think, oh, I just need to do more kind of lactic threshold stuff. That's clearly what the problem is. Or I need to do more core work. Yeah, that, yeah. That'll be the answer. Do, do you find when an athlete does have a bad day that even though maybe for you as the coach, when you get that bigger picture of, well, your, your lifestyle is a disaster, do they still look to blame something like it was my zones or I didn't do enough of this type of work? A lot of it is, uh, Evan, is, is the education. Um, when, they, when they have a bad experience, we need to be able to look back and go, what happened in the previous 72 hours, you know, in terms of nutrition, sleep, stress, and then what's, what the crucial six weeks beforehand, what was going on during there. So they're, if they're traveling transatlantic flights, you know, people think, oh, you know, sitting on a plane, you're, you're resting. It's very, very far away from, from resting. It's very, very stressful on the body. The number of people who do travel and then they come back and they get sick, and that affects their consistency of the training. So hugely, you know, very, I think a lot of it is education. Once they learn that pushing harder is the opposite of what they need to do, and they need to focus more in the other areas. And, and, and a lot of it is expectations as well. So if, if you are... Uh, if you've got a 50 hour a week work plus your commuting time, uh, you have young children, 
and then you say, oh, I want to qualify for the Olympics and I want to qualify to go to Kona and the World Championships, then it, it may be not a one-year journey. It may be a multiple-year journey. And I have four kids myself, four children myself. And when they were small, I, I didn't have much time to train. And it, you know, I, I realized I don't have much time to train, so I'm not going to be up as far as I'd like to be. But like, what are you going to do? Like, you know, not see your children and train more is not the right approach long term. And again, it's maybe because the athletes I'm working with, you're a high performance race walker and you get away with things when you're in your 20s. Most of my athletes are 30, 40, 50, and they sort of realize they want the family life. They want to be fit. They want to be healthy, but they can't, you know, know, they don't want to get to Kona, for example, and be divorced getting there. They want to have, they want to have it all, you know, so it's, it is a balancing act and it could be, you know, someone comes to me, I might say, that's a four-year project and some of them will say yes and some of them will go, no, I want it tomorrow. And I go, that's not going to, that's not going to work. Well, there are charcoals, but we won't condone that here. No, <laughs> definitely not. Is that a conversation that maybe, do some people find that surprising when they come and say, look, Oliver Kona next year, let's go when you actually walk them through, well, here's actually what's involved. Do some people then say, okay, I'm actually happy enough to do a sprint or Olympic distance and maybe when my life is in a place that allows for that, I can tackle the, the Ironman or tackle the Kona project? Um, again, a lot of it does come down to personality. Some people, like one of my, uh, an athlete came to me a few years ago and his very first triathlon was to be Ironman Lanzarote. <laughs> okay. So Ironman Lanzarote, for anyone who doesn't know, is probably the hardest Ironman branded race in the world. It is just hot, hilly, windy, just a real, it's a real shit show of, of, of elements. And it's the toughest day you'll find. It's, it, in my opinion, um, it's significantly harder than, than Kona, for example, that everyone would t- talk about. So this was to be their very first triathlon. Whereas I would, I would love people, and this was the way it used to be, where people would spend their first year doing some sprints, three or four sprints. Next year, sprints and add-on Olympic. And then the following year, a couple of 70.3s. And then over a course of three to four years, they've built themselves up and, and they learn about what their body can do, and, and especially the nutrition side of things, Yeah, and, and go there. That doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but... It sounds a bit cheesy, but it's, it's the journey. And we're trying to get people to be, have a, a lifestyle uh, of, of this for a very long period of time. So, yeah, yeah, that's the way it works. I think there's parallels to the track and field world. And my last guest was Emmett Dunleavy. He's a really prolific running coach. And I used to see this in race walking as well. The 50K walk, which is now disbanded, kind of rule of thumb was, Unless you are world-class at 3K, 5K, 10K, and you have a class 20K PB, you don't go to the 50K. Because in endurance is maturation. Like there's, you can, you can aim specifically for endurance from the off, but there's actually a lot to gain as an endurance athlete from nailing, you know, the, the things that it takes to be very good at a 45 or 60 or two hour event, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think... For someone new to triathlon, even the training load itself for an Ironman could be too much for a beginner. And maybe those different race distances allow someone to build up to being physically capable of doing an Ironman. Do you think, do you think that's a fair, fair way to look at it? 
Well, again, high performance is very, very different to age group triathlon events and, and racing. High performance is like, it's like chalk and cheese. It's the, the, the amount of detail that goes into high performance is off the scale. Age groupers, there's most of them 30 plus. They've come from an office job, a desk job, and they're, they're looking for a lifestyle change. So it doesn't need to be you know, as high pressured and it, it needs to have time to, to, to mature. So again, giving them the, the sprints, the Olympics, the 70.3s, it's more fun. See, if, if, it's one of the things that it sort of not annoys me, but when people get their Ironman head on, it's all about getting ready for this one big day uh, in October or whatever. However, they're missing out in months and months of doing sprints, your local sprints, your local Olympics, having fun, racing, going fast. You spent months and months going relatively slow and steady, but your, your, your aerobic engine has been, has been well-tuned. Go and race. You'll do well. You'll do better than you think you'll do. Have mm. a coffee, have a bun, and, and enjoy the, the whole journey of getting ready for the Ironman. It's all part of it. Fact. And you know what? It's interesting that you said Iron Man head. It just made me laugh because I'm just thinking of some conversations I've had with clients this week. It's December 9th today. This is only around the corner. I'm sure you maybe are familiar with this or you might hear it popping up. Athletes, I need to be good over Christmas. They're applying training mentality of, you know, training. It's prescribed. It's very specific. I'm finding I'm having to explain to a lot of athletes that whether you have some mince pies or not over Christmas or Christmas cake or not, or a couple of hot whiskeys, it has little to no bearing on your goals next year. And what, what I've started kind of um, my foot, my phrase that I fall back on is, you know, that um, mentality some athletes have of clean eating black and white, you have to have a rigid diet that's more of a cultural belief than a scientific fact. And that, that's part of the education. And maybe maybe you see it, but athletes who take Ironman very seriously, maybe if they have preconceived beliefs around, I'm an Ironman athlete now, I must behave like this. They're just not as happy because yeah. they're, they've no balance. Like, Yeah, yeah. The, the crucial time for an Ironman athlete is, is 16 weeks out from, from race day. That's, you need to get to that point, so it's four months, you need to get to that point uh, hungry and eager to train. You want to be able to, uh, you, you want to get out on your long bikes, you want to go for your long runs, you want to be eager and, and you, you'll go to your bed, you're excited for the journey ahead. If you get to that stage four, four months out and you're already burnt out and you're already maybe reached your peak of the number of hours you can do or anything else, then you're then you're stuck. There's nowhere else to go. You, you need to begin to that fourteen for that um, sixteen week period, slightly under train, slightly uh, out of shape, and then go and step it up a notch uh, to get that final push. And you want to get to the starting line, oh, ready to rip, just so excited to 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 be there. And you're going to do your best, and you've done all the training. You know you're in good shape, and you're full of energy. And that's that's one of the things I've, I've seen. Well, a couple couple of things I've seen happening over the last while is people underfueling far too early. Like you said, eat the damn mince pies. It's just it's, it's fucking it's 
excuse me, it's December. Don't be going strict on yourself in, in December. And even January. January's a miserable month without starting on people eating salad leaves only in January. That's too far away if, you're, if, you're, if your Ironman is, for example, in October. So, like, as the months progress, so should your professionalism, for lack of a better word, in terms of your sleep, reducing your stress, increasing your training, uh, your water intake. But it has to lead up step on step, month on month, towards your final goal. Too many, too many people uh, reach uh, good form, too good a form in like March and April, and then they just burn out. And their summer, which is supposed to be fun and, and full of energy, they're just flat. They're just flat, and, and like it's, it's a chore to them. End of the day, like not, not, none of us, not none of my, I'm not none of my athletes, thirty year old plus, we're not going to the Olympics. We're not. Um, our our triathlon results do not put food on the table of our children. They do, they do not pay the mortgage. It's supposed to be a a hobby that makes us happy and healthy. Keep keep focusing on that. And then yeah. how the race goes, if it goes well, great. If it doesn't, well, there's always another race. You know, just don't be worrying about it too much. I think maybe, and I see this a lot because it spills over into how people approach diet. The people who might fall afoul of getting really wrapped up in it, they might, they might have what you call a very developed athletic identity where I, I used to do this. Hello, I, my name is Evan. I'm an international race walker. That's mm-hmm. class social currency. You'll often find that people who are into sports, that's like if you ask them to describe themselves, it's like I am an Ironman person. Yeah. And that's, that's how they, they navigate social situations or maybe racing or being seen to be an athlete, a big part of their self-esteem. Yeah. That, that approach, it's really common at all levels of sport. And it's, it's that thing with, when they conflate performance with who they are as a person, that's when they can get really wrapped up in all of these you know, not-so-productive things. And it, it can become a bit more sinister than, say, helpful. Do you, do you see that as a coach sometimes? I, I, I've started tracking a lot more of people's metrics. So again, to try and ascertain whether they need to up their training or, or whether this, you know, there's, there's something else going on. So even if they, like I use a training diary called Training Peaks, it's just a, it's just a uh, training diary. All their information from their, their Garmin and Polar watches gets sucked in and it helps me analyze the actual session. But I, I've become a stickler and I, uh, uh, a ruthless coach for, for the other information so there's a little there's a little smiley uh, face icon that they can that they can pick for the session. They can give it a how did it feel? So more of the touchy feely stuff. Mm-hmm. I've started getting them to record their sort of their heart rate variability, the heart rates in the morning, how they're feeling, their mood, uh, and their energy levels tell you far more than, than than anything else. So the actual session, yeah, yeah, how's their pace and whatever, but. How do how are they feeling in a day to day life? If they're waking up in the morning and they're 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 knackered, then I need I need them to learn that the, you can't push the body when it's you know that stressed and that tired. Long term, it, it it will just backfire on them. Fact and the the analogy as a sports dietitian I would often use is you're trying to fill cups of tea from an empty pot, and. <laughs> 
scientifically speaking, when we're looking at some proxy measures, if someone is grossly underfueled or overtrained, they're kind of the same thing. You just get to that point via two two different uh, routes. Yeah. Sleep disturbance is a really really key thing, and I only I only read the research paper on this recently, Oliver. If you have an athlete and if you track them on an hourly basis, if they build up a 400 calorie deficit per hour, let's say they go and do a two hour session fasted and they burn 800 calories per hour. That's, that's relatively possible for most people. Yeah. They'll build up an 800 calorie deficit hourly. The research tells us the more time you spend during the day in more than a 400 calorie deficit, the more likely you are to have elevated baseline cortisol levels, your stress mm-hmm. that instantly disrupts sleep. If you do that long enough, it can crush endocrine health. It can crush reproductive health. It can, it can alter thyroid function, even metabolic rate and immunity. So if, you know, if I'm looking at athletes and I'm trying to screen, well, are these guys fueling? Yeah. Sleep disturbance, thing number one you see in reds or under fueling. If they're they're not able to fall asleep or they find it hard to relax or they feel on edge, instantly, are you fueling training? Are you getting your carbs in during your session? How are you recovering? It's like a, it's a really accurate measure. And a lot of people, when I ask them, they're like, I thought you were a dietitian. <laughs> relevant. But no, no more than planning training. It's not that training is the only thing to consider there's an awful lot of other variables stressors people tend to compartmentalize them as things that don't affect each other but they, they mm. really do yeah everything's connected um i had an athlete there i wrote a I wrote a piece um i have a on facebook i have a uh, a triathlon community called park p-a-r-c it's there's 1500 athletes and some very good uh, level three experienced coaches in there but i wrote an article recently 23 hours versus one hour again just just extolling the virtues of looking at the other non-training time that you spend to to make you a better human so mm-hmm. like sleep 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 was number one but what affects you going to sleep are, are you scrolling on a, on a screen late at night watching absolute drivel uh on on netflix or just scrolling through social media when actually just put it put it away leave it outside the bedroom just just put it away uh caffeine was the other one uh take caffeine after probably after lunchtime to be honest you can cut let, let your last cup be around lunchtime i think that's a that's a good approach if you need a deep maybe a decaf in the, in the evening uh, the thing about coffee for a lot of uh, coffee and tea for a lot of irish people is when they have their dinner and they sit down after dinner and they're re- relaxing uh, it means a cup of tea one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And what comes out with the tea is a pack of biscuits. So the biscuits and the tea in their head means relaxation. Their body hasn't desired any sugary cravings. It's just they've got into this sort of habit in their head or a couple of glasses of wine in the evening just to, this is how I relax. and like. Alcohol, caffeine, it just ruins, well, adversely affects the next day or two days training severely. So things like that there, things like moving, moving more as a human being, like a lot of people get out of bed and maybe they're uh, working from home. So they just, you know, the, you know, they walk very few steps and, and they're, they're opening their laptop. Other people, maybe they're hopping on a bus or driving and they're parking as close as possible to work, whereas in actual fact, Park a kilometer away, get a 10 minute walk there and 10 minute walk back. Uh, standing desks, uh, you know, picking a printer that's, you know, the floor up uh, above your floor in the office and walking up the stairs, walking to the water coolers, walking to the next, uh, you know, ca- coffee shop for your, for your lunch, getting out into the fresh air, all this sort of stuff. People are, you know, put, far, far, put a lot of energy, a lot of their, their attention into the one hour of training. But far less of their attention is put onto the other 23 hours, which makes them a better human being. Yeah, 100%. Really interesting. And I'm not going to quote it because it's a while since I read it. Sitting for more than an hour is actually really bad for you. Being sit- Like I'm standing right now. This is my new thing. This is a standing desk. Yeah. Cool. Physically sitting, irrespective of weight, if you smoke or drink or not, that's very bad for you. It affects mm. your circulation. And I don't recall exactly how it harms you, but there were some kind of sensations, headlines that compared it to smoking. I, I don't buy that. <laughs> no. A lot of people think, and side tangent, lots of people think, I'm tracking, sure, I'm definitely healthy. You would be shocked the amount of athletes I work with, and I get them to do blood work as a prerequisite, who have chronic kidney disease, very common not aware of it, reduced kidney function. They've got high cholesterol. I work with a pro cyclist who is pre-diabetic. He's pre-diabetic. Well, Liver problems are common. Gut issues, mental health. You can be good at sports. And if we look at elite athletes, you research elite athletes, like they are just, it's like looking at an iceberg. We see the performance and assume, wow, that's the pinnacle of health. But underneath <sighs> No, that's like possibly IBS, possibly an eating disorder. Maybe they have sexual dysfunction, probably low bone mineral density. And a lot of young athletes say, I need to be like that because that's perfect. That's exactly yeah. what the heroes look like. Yeah. The amount of people, under, and, and again, all spectrums of abilities, pro to beginners, have said to me, how can I lose muscle mass so I can be lighter on the bike? Oh. <laughs> That's a dangerous road down there. Yeah, 100%. So I think education is really, really important. And it, it definitely sounds like that's a big part of your coaching ethos. And it's not just do this training, let me know how it goes. Yeah. So when people, when people again, most of my uh, athletes, the 30, 30 plus, um, 
I, at the start of the program, I tell them you're going to have at least two other experts to be brought into your program. Uh, one of them is going to be a, a physiotherapist or a sports, uh, a strength and conditioning coach, and they're going to perform a functional assessment on you. So yeah. as, as, a, as the athlete, you go in, you do squats and lunges, some single leg movements, and, and the physio or the strength and conditioning coach will be able to tell whether your glutes are working properly, if you're, you know, you're tight in the shoulders, uh, you're tight in the calves, and they'll give you uh, a specific program for you. So rather than, you know, a general health magazine um, program of lift this and put it down there, most people can't even do a press up properly, and they shouldn't be doing squats and deadlifts unless they're under the, the uh, eye of a, of a good sports PT. So. That's their mobility and their, how they move is restricting them. The vast majority of people are being restricted, especially around the hips. As we talked about, sitting at your desk. So if you imagine the average, average person, maybe they spent half an hour to 45 minutes driving. So you think about your driving position, mm-hmm. a, a short walk, and then you're sat at your desk from nine to five for eight hours. Most of that time in the, in the same position, your hips, hip flexors are being smashed to pieces. Then you drive home. And then you might go to the running track for, for a club session and you're expecting yourself to perform like uh, Kipchoge or Usain Bolt and your hamstrings and your hips are just screaming at you and it just leads to in- injury and illness. So that, that's, that's one uh, expert that, that is also brought into, into the equation. The other expert is the bike fitter. So I'm a, as, a, as a coach of 30-year-old plus people, um, I'm c- conservative when it comes to the running. For most of us, the running is the one that breaks us down. Our bodies are not mobile enough to, to handle the impacts. So for the first couple of years, I'm, I'm more aggressive when they're on their bike. We can get a lot of good fitness, a lot of power. Um, a lot of, it's a lot safer to do it on the bike. And then if I get a couple of years off them running conservatively, aerobic, adding some hills, then we can think about speed work. But until I have evidence that they can handle ordinary running and some hills then i don't go near speed work for a couple of years um so the bike fitter um uh is is and that's again that's not in a performance sense initially it's set them up so they're comfortable uh on the bike so that they can perform the the training sessions to build a bigger engine for their for their cycling and there's a lot of there's a lot of great carryover from the cycling to into the, the into the running well that that's they're they're the sort of deep you know they're the must experts that must come into it but more and more it's this your sports nutrition is just for example it's just such a big part of it so we, we you know it depends on the person we start off we, we look at what they're doing and we might cut out some of the some of the easier ones but if people are really racked with sugar and really you know poor nutrition too much sugar or, or under fueling then I take you know, I send them to a to an expert like yourself, Evan. And so it's, it's more of a team at, at times. I, yeah, I'm, I'm the coach, but I'm pulling in experts like yourself from other areas that are, that are required for their program. Yeah, and you know what? Like most dietitians work in a clinical setting and you have something called a multidisciplinary approach whereby you have a patient, let's say, I don't know, they've got a broken leg or they have Crohn's disease four or five different professionals have to see that person. So there's four or five different perspectives that can help them. Actually, it's the exact same. They're just not sick. 
we're just trying to prevent them from breaking down or getting sick or having health problems because and this isn't an opinion this is based on what i see if you don't do things correctly training for an ironman it is exceptionally bad for you to do that it's not a healthy endeavor if you're not taking the boxes you're taking care of yourself so like some of the things we can prevent by doing things correctly stress fractures mental health decline immunosuppression i see athletes with genuine like suppressed white blood cell counts iron deficiency poor work performance i've had it with some female and male athletes who were trying to conceive because they were under fueling there's a there's a section in your brain called your hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis and effectively for the same reason why if you're really stressed all the time and if you're underfueled, massive baseline cortisol levels suppress that whole system. And do you know what the evolutionary kind of, if you wanted to boil it down to a simplistic answer is, do you know why reproductive function cuts off when an athlete is really stressed or underfueled? No. Genuinely, it's something along the lines of this would be a terrible time to have a child because there's clearly something very stressful happening. Yeah. That, that's where it comes from. Yeah. That's a gross oversimplification, but those are all direct outcomes of underfueling, which normally is one of the causes of overtraining. Mostly people should be able to adapt to a workload if it's well thought out. It's yeah. if they're not replenishing, restoring, rehydrating. That's where they start to get that decline. But yeah. seeing as this is the Fuel Better podcast, I might switch towards nutrition for a second. Oliver, what, what do you see are the biggest nutrition problems that athletes present with? What do your, your clients or athletes tend to ask you? Um, wide range, to be honest, Evan. Uh, sugar and um, sweet tooth is, is a big one for a lot of them. And mm. how, to, how to reduce the amount of sugar uh, that they're consuming. Um, once they start looking at, at food labels and seeing that it's it's everywhere and they're, they're like not helping matters by you know having like fr- fruit juice in the morning and they give themselves a big uh, shot of sugar into the bloodstream at first thing in the morning and it just has there's a tendency to sugar up and then to dive down when the energy drops down and to re, you know keep doing that heading for the, the coffee and the muffins then to just give them the hit and the three o'clock slump comes and they end up going for more and more sugar so it's about educating ways around that to, so that they're not having the, the slumps they're not taking in so much sugar in the first place so they're not having the spikes and the slumps after that uh under fueling is becoming a much bigger issue um especially especially on the the, the female side of things um more so so I've noticed that there. So it's just about getting them to fuel properly. And then on then specifically onto race day, what works for them. Um, we can try out certain things and we can be quite confident in Irish conditions of, you know, a warm summer's day of 17 degrees and everything's hunky-dory. But then you go to the likes of a, a Lanzarote or a, you know, a Portugal or a Barcelona and maybe 25 to 30 degrees and things don't go to plan they need to have a flexibility uh for the heat i know you've got a, a good podcast on heat adaptions and things out like there so i'll be referring them to 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 listen to that 
really interesting. I suppose two things. I'll start. I'll start with the sugar. So I see that people tend to box off sugar as an umbrella term, and that sugar in general is a kind of a negative or a no-no. It depends on the context. And if we look at when we look at sports nutrition, not necessarily healthy eating guidelines, but sports nutrition as it applies, let's say the hour and a half, two hours before and after training and during training, what those guidelines boil down to is how much simple starter sugar, salt and liquid can we get this person to have? How much do they need? How can we do that? I would agree that definitely when you're at rest, metabolically at rest, eating loads of sugar, drinking orange juice, having Mars bars, all that kind of stuff is negative because you don't necessarily have the capacity to clear that effectively. And it's, you know, there's umpteen thousand papers on negative healthy eating patterns. However, if we look at just before exercise, during and right after, you actually do, you're better with yeah. sugar. And I think pointing that context out to athletes, I've found when you talk with them and say, well, why don't you take gels or drinks or fruit? They'll say, okay, sugar is bad. It's like, mm, yeah. bad. if you're watching Netflix on the couch, then it's yeah. bad is probably the wrong word. It's inappropriate. Yeah. However, suboptimal. Suboptimal, yeah. <laughs> However, if you're on a bike or you're in the pool, and I, I have some athletes who've measured their calories with a power meter or VO2 max testing, they're north of a thousand calories an hour, which is over 250 grams of carbs hourly in terms of what the exercise costs. Mm. If they have a Mars bar on the bike or a few bananas or a Powerade or Lucasade Sport, their blood sugar, if it maintains at all, that's great because the tendency is for it to drop. So I think the, the messaging, we need to be careful in terms of how we say that, in that the context of when and where you take it's important. Around workouts, sugar is great. The rest of the day, your healthy eating guidelines and your food pyramid applies. A lot of athletes miss that nuance and they just tend to go for the blanket term. Oh, it's just bad. So mix it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the blanket bands are, are yeah, that, that's a feature. Like when I first started triathlon, carbs were king. Uh, get as much white carbs, pasta rice all the time. Lucas is sport. It was, pasta, it was, it was uh, simple carbs all the time were the best. And then and, and fats were demonized. You know, a blanket ban, fats, bad for you, which is complete rubbish. And then it's changed now. You know, it's all uh, fats are the way to go and carbs are, are the deep. Don't stay away from carbs. You can't blanket ban a whole food range. Uh, your brain needs it. Your body needs it at the right time. So it's, it's the right fuel at the right time. 100%. And I suppose maybe I'll just, I'll take a minute here to debunk all of the fats versus carbs it's probably the wrong way to look at it and it's not one or the other it's both but how much of which at any given moment mm. so obviously one of the pitfalls you mentioned it earlier on your event goes over an hour and a half that's what you need to start taking care of how much carbs you eat because your glycogen your body's battery will run out well-trained athletes 
they have a good capacity to spare glycogen. So they'll use a higher fraction of fat at any given intensity, the more trained they are, generally speaking. And that's a good thing. So to help an athlete spare their glycogen, you might do small bouts of fasted training, tiny bouts, because it has a negative effect as well. Or there might be times in low intensity training periods, if they're healthy, where you'll do carb withholding after training to promote those cellular and metabolic adaptive responses. They can be really helpful. However, when we look at the research on athletes when they fat adapt, Supernova Project was a really great example of this. Their VO2 max is increased, but their performance decreased by about 5 to 10%. They varied. So they did time trials. So the the fat adapted versus the carb adapted guys on paper with kind of fitness testing, they were way better, but they were way slower. And the brass tacks is that fat oxidation is very costly and it makes you less efficient and less economical. And that's a really important thing to be aware of if you're doing a very long distance event. Mm-hmm. And what we also know is whether or not you're fat adapted if your glycogen runs out, you still, you still have the capacity to change fatty acids into kind of your, your six carbon molecules, your carbs to keep your glycogen some way steady. As that drops anyway, you become fatigued, exercise feels harder. You still get all of those negative, negative side effects of bonking. And people miss that. They tend to plant their foot in one camp or the other. Mm. In fact, it's both, but it's mostly carbs. The research says mostly carbs, fat adaptation and oxidation is a tool in the belt, the same way sauna usage or massage guns or supplements are. It's not a panacea to performance. And people who do perform well on fat, fat alone, they could be faster. That's the thing. Very interesting. Very interesting. I, I'm doing. I'm making an online course at the moment on how to fuel for an Ironman. Not everyone has, has the time or the capacity to come and work with me one to one. So the course is going to be made to as a standalone thing people engage with by themselves. But chapter two is fat first carbs. We talk through all the nuanced points there, so it's it's kind of fresh on the top of my head. But it's a real kind of enlightenment point for athletes when they're not afraid to carb up. Mm. I've had athletes say after six seven hour long rides where they're cracking away through 120 grams an hour that i feel like i could do that again mm. and then maybe the following day they do a 45 minute fasted swim to keep in touch with that oxidative capacity yeah so you, you know there's appropriate ways to use it but i just wanted to ask to, to go back to your point why do you think there's an increase in athletes under fueling oliver i think they're, they're worried about um they want to get into a certain shape. They maybe see people in a certain shape and think that's the shape and uh, leanness that I need to to be. And I'll I'll do all the training that's required. And then, but I need to lose weight. I need a I need a cut weight. And they just end up putting themselves into a big dark hole, uh, lacking energy and changing mood and, and all, the, all the consequences you've mentioned of it. It's not, it's, not, it's not worth it. I would much rather an athlete 
be carrying a bit, a few kgs over and be full of energy, uh, full of life, enjoying the training, eager to train, uh, th- thriving in their workplace, full of energy for their kids, rather than being a couple of kg under. They might be slightly faster potentially, but not not really guaranteed and, and miserable. End of the day, it's not worth it. I, I totally agree. And I think people get so caught up in what's my relative VO2 max it's based on weight. That's often their justification. I'm like, well, to lose weight, it might make you more likely to be sick or injured. It'll probably mm-hmm. hurt your consistency, maybe even your power. Those might have a much more impactful time on your finish time than, say, if you lose three kilos. And maybe it's social media, maybe it's um, people generally being aesthetic orientated, but they don't like hearing that. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um... At, at Ironman, uh, the, re- the last couple of years, there's a Norwegian guy, he's an Olympic champion called Christian Blumenfeld. And like, I had the good fortune to meet him over in Kona. When you meet him, he, he looks, he's, very, he's extremely lean. But from the side, when you see him on the bike and you see him running, he looks, he's, he's barrel chest. He looks like he's barrel chested. And it's just a totally different shape to the, to, to the norm of being fairly tall and fairly lean. He looks like he actually, you know, he looks like he's got a, you know, like a midriff, a bit of belly fat. So it's nice to see a different shape of person, person who's doing well. So it's not always looking at the, the the guys who have all eight abs showing and everything, you know, sculpted to an inch of their lives. Yeah. It's it's not that way. So it's nice to see a different body shape doing well. I think it's it's important for people to see that as well because maybe a lot of people box themselves off as I'm too heavy to be a good athlete. It's like, well, mm. not necessarily. You're just not strong enough for your body yet. Great, mm. great example. I had a client late last year, early this year, 93 kilos passing people going up hills. We had him fueled. He was strong. I think he was doing five or 600 watts. Oh. <laughs> he was flying past people half his weight and he, when he was laughing at them and they were kind of looking at him like what, what is going on here but people need to see that and Blumenfeld is a great example of that that it's not that typical stick figure aesthetic you don't have to have that there's, there's no look that predetermines your ability as an athlete it's more so what you do with your body Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And how you train. 100%, 100%. And again, working with 30-year-old pluses, there's, 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 certain, there's a certain amount we can do. And people obviously have, you know, if, if they come into the sport and they are, carrying a lot then the sport itself and cleaning up their diets and nutrition will will ha- have a dramatic change and I had one athlete give off to me that he had to buy a new wardrobe of clothes um, that none of his suits he was an office uh, manager 
none of yeah. the suits. He had to buy a whole new set of suits, and I went. Uh, that's part of the joy of triathlon journey and, and, and being uh, healthier. That's, that's the price you pay. New suits. I think um, that's one of the maybe maybe you see it as well where people orient towards this journey for health reasons. And I see this all the time where people midriff comes in or their blood pressure drops or they they get control of type two diabetes or cholesterol because at the end of the day, right? And I, I was talking about this with Emmett. We are, let's say, the first line of defense for people's health. Let's say, let's say people come to us as healthy people or with minor health problems. The the training or the advice we give them can have a massive effect on their long-term health and well-being. And that's something that I hold really important. And it's it's one of the reasons why I take a measured approach in how much risk I'll allow someone to expose themselves to with underfueling or nutrient deficits. We can really change the course of someone's life. Not to get very profound or, you know, not to not to be very melodramatic, but it is true. Healthy Ireland has it that eating well, lifestyle, exercise. If you want to avoid problems, these are the things. If this was something you could put into a pill, they would put exercise and dietary advice into pills and just throw it at everybody and mm. the gender would be much healthier. But last, last question for you, Oliver. How can people get in touch with you, assuming you're maybe taking on more clients in the new year or in the coming months? Um, the best place to sort of find me is, is on somewhere at the website, primecoaching.com or the, uh, the park PARC community, tri community on Facebook. It's, it's, uh, as I said, there's 1500 athletes in there, wide range people who've never done a triathlon yet and hoping to do one in the summer all the way up to people who've uh, represented uh, Ireland uh, the world championships corner qualifiers sub nine sub 10 whatever you're choosing it's just a great community so the park uh, parc community tribe community on facebook uh, there's a lot of good coaches in there as well including myself so that's probably where we hang out a little bit too too much of our time in there uh, so i recommend there very good and for for those interested are you taking on clients in the coming weeks or what's your availability like at the moment yeah yeah i've got uh I've got workshops, uh, one-day workshops coming up in Dundalk in the uh, end of January and February. They're a small group, so there's a couple of places for them. And then we've got warm weather training camps out in Lanzarote and Mallorca to look forward to in, in March and April, especially in a cold, frosty morning like it is now. Uh, I'm personally looking forward to heading over there. Uh, obviously, I've got a few uh, places for, for Ironman and uh, triathlon uh, one-to-one coaching as well. Very good. So... Anyone possibly thinking about getting into Ironmans or triathlons, or if you just want a coach who take care of you and make sure you're taking the boxes, I would encourage you to reach out to Oliver here. It's well worth your while. For now, Oliver, thank you very much for joining me for this episode of the Fuel Better podcast. I'm sure we'll have you back again in future. Thanks, Evan. Take care. Merry Christmas. You too.